I'm Lean Printer and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, Falcha, bienvenidos. Welcome to The Motivated Classroom podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me wherever you are listening across the world. It blows my mind completely. My little tiny Irish brain cannot handle the fact that there's something like 170 different countries where this has been listened to. You know, I'm just like, who's listening to me in Mozambique? Who is listening to me in the Seychelles? I'm just like, what is going on? It's amazing. So thank you so much, Gurmila Mahagov. Thank you in Irish for sharing, for telling your friends, for telling your colleagues, for passing the word. And of course, to those patrons who support the podcast, it probably would not still be going if it wasn't for you guys and all the coffees and crisps you have bought me over the last year. So thank you so much. We're nearing a year now. It started in July and we've hit 50,000 downloads, which also blows my mind. I can't get my head around that. I thought if I got to 5,000, it would have been doing well in a year. So there you go massive thank you to you all just this is all down to you guys and sharing and pushing the word out there so thank you now today we've kind of got the second part of the structuring of a curriculum without a textbook last week i did that episode and i went through the whole year and what it would look like in my classes where we don't typically use a textbook very often and there was a great response to that lots of people getting in touch and saying they'd always wanted to try and teach without a textbook or at least move away from it but were afraid didn't know how to go about it But really, they saw that I structure a lot of my year around these little graded novels, these little readers that I use. And a little word of caution with that, make sure you read the books in advance and really make sure that you are okay with everything in the books. If you feel like there's stereotypes in there or if it's a very white European centric narrative that's going on and there's not much diversity, then you may like the content and the themes, but you might have to think about how you're going to adapt that and invent new characters with different ethnicities and different sexualities to give it some diversity. And of course, if you feel like every book you pick up looks like that, well, maybe you need to look at other books because there are many amazing authors out there writing books that really champion diversity and have all sorts of different characters from all sorts of different ethnicities and all sorts of different places that aren't just focused on America or Europe or that white, you know, straight culture that we often see in some of these books. So do make sure you read them and check them out and make sure that you're okay with everything in there and it fits okay with your values. And then you do have to kind of play the game and work it a bit to make it fit with your units and what you're trying to achieve. So that's about the year and how we structure the year. If you listen back to last week's episode and again, a huge thank you to Margaret Alexi, who's one of the patrons of the podcast since right near the beginning. And this was her idea. She asked me about how I structure the year, how I structure the classes. And I said, I won't do this in a patron only podcast. I'll do it for everyone. And she was like, yeah, cool, go for it. So today I really want to speak about how I structure an individual lesson. What kind of processing activities go on in my lessons and what do they look like? Now, to be perfectly honest, my lessons don't always look the same. They're, they do change quite a lot. There's different activities all the time, but there is an underlying structure behind how I do each lesson. So I will share that structure with you today, but just you're not allowed to tell my students because they just think it's all very random and anything could happen at any time. It's all very unpredictable. So don't tell them there's actually a structure and it's actually evidence informed through research. Shh. <laughs> uh, me in a studio and the things that happen. So this is the structure behind my lessons. Essentially, what I try and do is I read this when I was actually studying to be a teacher 
And I think that the model that was given was from Jeff Petty's book on evidence-based teaching. Now, that's going back 12 years ago now. And actually, I've adapted it and changed it right now. But some of these elements came from that. So how I structure my lesson planning is each lesson in terms of activities has this structure. Retrieval, motivation, orientation, information, application and review. So it's bookend with the two R's, retrieval and review. And in the middle, you have the uns, I like to say, motivation, orientation, information and application. There you go. I am going a bit crazy being in the studio. I've been in here quite a few hours today doing interviews and editing and I'm going a bit crazy in this soundproof room. (laughs) Anyway, if you're still with me. So that is how I do all of my lessons. Now, what does that look like in practice? So, for example, when my students first arrive, none of this really begins until the reading phase has happened. They know how the structures are there in terms of classroom management and behaviour and how I expect things to begin in the class. Everyone knows these routines right from the beginning. They arrive in my class and they wait outside the door for me to be ready. Now, if the youngest students often line up outside the door, it helps them to just get a bit quiet and make sure they're not interrupting other classes while I'm getting ready. Older students, you know, they're just kind of chatting to each other, waiting to come in. Then I will come to the door and I will give the person the password to get in for that week. If we're already two or three days into the week, then the student who acts as the security guard or the security officer is standing at the door, getting the password from everyone to allow them to come in. So they must say the password in Spanish, which is what I teach, and the translation into English because we are an English medium school. I also allow them to say it in their own language, even though I don't understand most of their own languages. But I like to have that connection to their own language as well. And of course, for the security officer, who's one of the students listening, they get to hear all these other cool languages as well. And I like to celebrate those languages. If I hear one, I'll say, oh, what was that? Say, oh, that was Gujarati. And say, oh, that sounds so cool. Can we share that with the class? To show them that languages matter. It's really important to put those little bits in there. It's not taken away from your lesson time. What it is, is building motivation. That's how the class begins. They walk in the door, they move to the left of the class, they pick their folder from the cupboard where all their folders are left, they pick their book from the plastic envelopes where all their books are kept, and they start reading. And that's how every class begins, nearly every time. There's the odd time when it'll be different. But pretty much they come in, they start the class in silence, and they're reading for five to six minutes. And I will read with them at that stage. Well, often the next activity will be some kind of activity to do with the reading. It might be a very quick tell your partner one word that you learned today and I might have to give them the structure in Spanish. Today I learned the word. Of course, older students are more advanced, don't need that. But that might be how we begin. So that's the beginning of the class is always reading because I've read so much around the research about reading in another language that I try and do it in every class. And I honestly think this is the first year I've ever done it really quite well, like almost the whole year and with every class. And I can see huge differences across the board in how much they can understand and the words they're able to use in their output as well. So I'm definitely agreeing with the research here that the reading at the beginning of the class is helping them massively. So that's the reading phase that has begun. It's like five minutes into the class at this stage. Now we want to do the retrieval practice part. Now, I'm a strong believer in retrieval practice and believer is a terrible word to use. It comes from an evidence base. so I don't just believe it. I am quite convinced by the evidence that it is really important and it should be a mainstay in all classes, of which it normally is. Nearly everyone does re- retrieval practice all the time. It's just now we've got a name for it. We did all this stuff loads in the past where we would go over things we previously did. 
But one of the things I've learned from reading around the research on retrieval practice is that it shouldn't just be about the previous lesson and it shouldn't just be at the beginning of the lesson or the end. It has to be throughout and we have to interweave things that we've done a long time ago back into the retrieval practice. A great example was this week. In one of my classes, we are doing a story all about problems on holidays and about, you know, illnesses and going to the hospital and what happened to you. And we talk about bones they've broken. And in our story, you know, the person breaks both their ankles and they can't walk and they have to go to the hospital and they get a cast, all of these things. And of course, something came up about them hurting their back. And in Spanish, the word for a back is espalda. But in our previous unit, two units ago, we did a unit all about the history of Spain using the book Rival by Mira Canyon. I really think it's great. It lets you talk about religion and culture and acceptance and diversity and all the amazing things that Spanish has got from the Arabic world. It's really cool. So we read that book. And as part of that, of course, we come across the word espada, which means sword. And so when we came across the word espalda, very similar sounding words, I realised we probably haven't said the word espada, sword, in the past two months. And this is the whole point of retrieval practice. We need to bring in the things from a while ago to just keep those sensors in the brain open to those words and we don't let them get forgotten. And so when espalda came up, I was like, does that remind us of any other word in a previous unit? Um, and they all kind of looked at it and were like, uh, and they weren't really sure. And then I kind of made the action for a sword and then loads of them went, oh yeah, espada. And I was like, and what unit was that? What other words did we use in that unit? How did we talk about history in Spain? What did the Arabs teach us about mathematics and about chess and all of these things? What did we learn from them? And we just went off on a tangent and had a 15 minute discussion all about a unit, two units ago and tried to see what they could remember. So that's also retrieval practice. But back to my original lesson, I always go off on tangents, don't I? It's the great thing about having your own podcast. So anyway, I begin with retrieval practice and that's usually done on their whiteboards. Now go back and listen to the episode right at the start of the podcast on retrieval practice because I give loads of ways I use the mini whiteboard. But typically we would begin with some type of little cognitive game. I don't like using the word game because it's an exercise, but they feel like it's a little competition or a game. So it could be straight translation that I give a sentence in English and they try and write it down. It could be a vocab thing. They're trying to learn with their partners about words that they used in the previous few classes and they write those down. It could be a bingo game where they just write down three top words and I have to try and guess them. Anything like this that is getting them to go over the things from the previous few lessons. That's how we start. That's about another two to three minutes. Now, next comes motivation. Now, I use the word motivation, but I'm not going to just stand there and talk to them about each lesson having autonomy, competence and relatedness and how we do those basic psychological needs. Obviously, to the students, I'll just try and motivate them to say why it's important what we're doing today. What role does it have? How is it going to help us in the future? And how does it open our eyes to other people and other worlds and differences and diversity? For example, that might be the motivation stage, typically me just telling them why and the relevance to their lives. Then is orientation. Personally, I'm not a massive fan of writing learning objectives on the board, but I usually will write up a couple of bits of like what I want you to be able to do by the end of the class or what I hope that you're going to master. So it might be something like using the language when speaking to your friend about illnesses that you've had in the past and being able to tell a story in the past. That might be the two things that we're working on in that class. So I might just say them, but sometimes I'll write them, but it's so that they realise there's a goal to today's lesson. And then, of course, comes the information part. And this is typically all of those things we do in class for processing, but when I'm giving them information. 
So this is me building new learning for them. So let's say it's we're reading a little story and we're analysing it and we're looking at the parts of it that we could use about talking about our own lives, let's say. Or let's say it is them talking to each other about things that happened to them when they broke bones or maybe they're reviewing other students who broke bones or maybe it's a special person interview and we're learning about information from one of our classmates and we're trying to learn about things from them and bones they broke and when that happened and where it was and linking that to our unit and what words we can use or maybe it's the novel that we're reading or maybe it's a song that we're doing essentially that's the news stuff that's the information now we don't want to have that to be too many things Keep it small, keep it realistic. We just want them to get another two or three words or structures per day that they're, are new to them and you know that they'll need retrieval practice to embed those later. We don't want more than that because it gets cognitive overload. They feel like they can't do it, they can't remember it and it doesn't really work. So we don't want to overload them. So they've had the information section. Maybe that was reading a chapter in our novel, let's say. And now there's the application. So I want them to apply this or do something with it. So whatever that information is that you've just done with them, typically for me, it is learning about each other or learning about different cultures and reading and listening to different things or telling stories or listening to experiences with some reading in there. And now how do they apply it? Well, things like I like doing things like take out what you feel are the three most important sentences of that bit we read or what is the most important sentence in that chapter? Or what sentence speaks to you? Reflect on one sentence from there. Pick out a sentence and then compare it to your partner's sentence and see why you picked one versus the one that they picked. Why did they pick sentence number six and you picked the one right at the end? What were the differences? Essentially, this is them applying the information that you've given them. So if the information was you were describing their invisible character like we do at the beginning. So they were just we added some details. We maybe added their hair colour and their eye colour and the sports they like, let's say. And that was the information they got. And we went over that with lots of questions and now they'll have to apply it. Maybe it's what sports do you like? What sports do you like that our invisible character Enrique doesn't like? You know, there's comparisons there, but that's the application section. It can also be a worksheet of some kind, but I don't do them all that often. I do them now and again so that it feels unpredictable and that they're not always doing the same thing. Or it could be writing out something themselves, recording, having a conversation with the person beside them. You know what I'm on about. These are just all of those exercises we do in class to apply the information, but they're separate parts of the class. So we have retrieval, motivation, orientation, objectives, what's, what are we trying to learn here? Information, the new stuff. Application, using that new stuff, putting it to some kind of use, what it, whether that's building sentences together or discussions. And then finally, we have the review. Now, when I've gone and observed of other teachers, I see that they are guilty of doing the thing that I often do. We're all human and often the review part gets squeezed. You look at your watch and you look at your clock and you think, OK, I've got 10 minutes left. I think I can get on to that next page of the book or I think we can do that next question about that reading or I think we can do that next little video I had planned. But what happens then is there's no space for the review part at the end. And actually, when I reflect and I think about my best lessons, they're often the ones when I stopped the information and application stage 10 minutes in advance and I had a whole 10 minutes for review. Because you'll see that they have only remembered a tiny little bit of that new information. No matter how many questions and different applications you did with it, you need to do those type of activities at the end of the class. Now, what might that look like? 
Again, it could be something to do. I use my poor mini whiteboards. They are raw at this stage. They're used so much. We use them all the time and it's usually in partners or in groups of three, but maybe it's individual. So I want you to write down, you know, um, three words that we use today when we were talking about illnesses and going to the doctor. Three words. And maybe they can only think one. Then they can use their notes and they can look it up if they need to. Or what did we learn today about our classmate Maria? Uh, write that down on your mini whiteboards. Or maybe it's everyone come to the board and it's a touch the board game. I'll say something and they whoever can touch the board first and can respond. Or maybe it's a, a circle game. We sometimes do this as well, where we all stand up at the end of the lesson and in a circle, each person will say something that they got out of today's lesson or one of the new words and then they can repeat the previous ones. They have to add another one. And then right at the end of the class, so we do our review activity, and that's always, it's very similar to the retrieval practice because you're doing activities with the mini whiteboards. Go back and listen to episode at the beginning of the podcast for that. And, but it's very similar. It's just that you're only reviewing the stuff from that particular lesson. And that's really important as a, as a thing to end your lessons with. And we often let that get squeezed. So once you've done your review section, you might have two minutes left at the end of the class. And the way all my classes end is I walk to the door And I say goodbye to every student as they leave. And the way I say goodbye is I say, you know, in Spanish, you know, adios. And then they have to give me a word that they learned in that class. So it's from the information section. It can't be a word from five classes ago. Although depending, sometimes I'll accept it if it's a really clever one that we haven't used in ages. Or maybe it's a word they just got from reading their book that we didn't even do in class. They'll say to me, you know, escaleras. And I'll be like, escaleras, that means stairs. We didn't talk about stairs today. They're like, yeah, it was in my book. And I'm like, oh, amazing. Yeah, that's great. That's something you got out of today. So they feel like they're walking out of the class, always having learned at least one new word. And also you're getting to speak to each student eye to eye at the end of every class. Even if you have 35 kids in your class, you can still do this. You walk to the door, they're getting their stuff together. Those really organised students will be there first and the disorganised ones are getting their stuff together, packing their bag while everyone else is leaving the room. But leave the time to do that at the end of the class. And it builds a relationship with them because they might use a word or say something you haven't heard. You might ask them about that. might be to do with their football team winning yesterday or whatever it may be. So how does this look in my planner? I have a Google sheet for my planning, essentially looks like a spreadsheet and it's got a variety of columns. So for each class, there's a column that says outcomes, essentially what I want them to be able to do at the end of the class. And I very quickly type students can and it'll be speak about three new words to do with hospital and illness and can talk, use estaba and era, two words in the past in Spanish. They might be my outcomes for the day for that class. The next column is focus. Now, this, the reason I've got focus in there is because it might be something from three lessons ago. It might be, I need to focus on these three particular words or this structure, for example, the structure he had forgotten. They just weren't getting that. So that's my focus for the class to give them loads of comprehensible input with that structure and just reminds me what my focus is for that class. It's not always exactly the learning outcome, but they're very similar. The next column is cultural diversity. This might be just one word I type in there, but it reminds me that I need to bring cultural diversity into every class. And what I mean by that is diversity of all kinds. Maybe when we were doing our house project, designing the perfect house and they designed the house of their dreams, was asking them, well, how do I know your house is accepting to my friend or my brother or my sister who is has disabilities or who has autism or how do I know it's accepting to my trans friend? How can you show me that? And so it just reminds me to bring these things into every class, not just talking about culture, but also about all kinds of diversity. 
The next column is simply the plan, like the activities. So the top of that column says retrieval, motivation, orientation, information, application review. And that's essentially, I just write one, two, three, four, five. What are my, what are the things I'm doing for my, my, that's my, essentially my lesson plan. The next column is motivation. Sometimes that remains blank because I just didn't know what I did for autonomy. But the reason it's there is it reminds me if I've left it blank two times in a row that I need to make sure that the students are getting some autonomy, competence and relatedness here. Maybe I'll focus on autonomy today. They can choose their own way to present this chapter of the book. Or maybe I need to focus on competence and talk to them about confidence and using the language. Or, But it just reminds me that motivation needs to be central in my planning. The next column is resources. Anything I'm using, YouTube videos or readings, like the links are there. The next one is homework, if there is any homework. And the last one is reflection. And I do fill out a reflection after every class. Now, I know some teachers listen to this going, how on earth do you have time for that? It takes me less than 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It's like two lines and it'll say something like really good class. They enjoyed the video about the famous people's houses. Or it might say, oh, that class didn't go very well. Very rowdy. I need to change this for next year. Or that class, not a great class. The reading was really boring. It's just something like that. And it makes me, when I am planning for next year, I just use the same document. I go, oh yeah, that reading was really boring. Let's not do that one again. Or, oh, that video worked really well, actually. Or, oh, this, maybe my reflection says something like, this video needs 30 minutes. And that kind of thing. So it's a quick reflection about what went well. It takes 10, 15 seconds. And I do it at the end of each class while my other class are waiting out the side of the door, thinking of what the password is. That's what I'm writing. And of course, sometimes you forget and you write it at the end of the day or at lunchtime, but that's my columns. So the columns are outcomes, focus, cultural diversity, the plan, essentially the activities, motivation, resources, homework, reflection. They're the columns and I try and fill them each one of them out for each lesson. So that's how I plan my lessons and that is how I structure my classes. Thank you very much for listening. Gurmila Mahgav, a huge thank you to all of my patrons for all those coffees and crisps. If you feel like supporting the podcast, if you're a regular listener, go and check out the Motivated Classroom podcast on patreon.com. There's also a buy me a coffee option on my website. There is no obligation to do that though. Absolutely none. Keep listening for free. Keep telling your friends. It's absolutely all good. Now, if you're still with me, I have two exciting announcements about upcoming episodes. Next week, I'm talking to the amazing Tan Nguyen, a brilliant teacher who I've seen at conferences. And we're talking about pride. We're talking about being a gay teacher. We're talking about diversity. We're talking about empowering students. We're talking about what we can learn from the EAL classroom. It's a great episode. Make sure you check that one out. And then in a couple of weeks time, you need to check out the CI Reboot Conference. So go to Fluency Fast and there's an amazing conference trying to reboot how we think about teaching with comprehensible input. And I will be, as part of that, doing a live stream podcast with the amazing Dr. Bill Van Patten, who's written loads of books and papers on second language acquisition research and had his own podcast, which was super popular with loads of people, Tea with BVP. And Dr. Karen Lichtman, and we're going to be talking about the research around comprehensible input teaching, teaching with stories and narrative. And I'm just so excited about that. It's going to be such a great episode. So they are two big announcements. Please go and check them out. Thank you so much. Guramila Mahagav, August Slanawaya. The Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter, and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer, The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow the Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.